0: I have to get unstuck. So first I want to um, give a shout out to the AV team back there. Um, thank you for muting me when we sing. <laughs> because that's a whole different experience, let me assure you. Um, and, and thank you as a church for, um, for having me back. Um, It's a wonderful thing to sit here and look at you uh, when you sing. As a pastor, um, I've had years of of being up front and looking at people. And the expressions on people's faces when they lift their hands to worship, you may not see that. Um, it's, It's really an incredible thing. I'm not sure it's worth tears, but it is wonderful. And uh, I really, Bonnie and I really, Bonnie, of course, has been a member here for years and years, away for a number of years, being married to me, but, um, but we just really enjoy this church. So let me pray. Lord, thank you. I know we've already prayed once, but I'm just so used to praying before I preach. And it's your word, and we're grateful, and we lift all this up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Andrew asked me if I would preach, and I, I, I'm delighted to do so, and I'm honored to do so, and I thank you. Um, he said, choose whatever you want. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I thought, I'm going to preach from the, the what we typically call, typically call the parable of the sower, right? You all know that? Okay, I don't call it the parable of the sword, but it's what we call it. Um, it's what your Bible might call it, when you when the Bibles have headings. Say, parable of the sower. Um, and I chose this because the way I came to Christ was in a confirmation class in Lutheran church. And I thought, okay, it would be good to have all the answers. Then i look good. And there's some cute girls in the class. And I thought, that couldn't hurt, you know? You know. So, uh, so I began to read my Bible almost every single night. And I'd read my Bible late into the night. And sometimes I'd wake up at like 2 in the morning, there's my Bible open on my bed. And I'd close it up. And then one night, I could still remember it. I wish I could remember the, the passage. But I remember reading thinking, this is true. This is true. And from that moment on, it wasn't about the confirmation class. It was about Christ. So I've always been really, um, Scripture has always been really important to me. Because it has transforming power. The Word does. And we will see that in in this parable. So the parable has two parts. It has the parable itself. And then a brief brief interlude where the disciples go, Yeah, we don't get it so much. And so Jesus explains it. It's the only parable that I know of where Jesus explains it to them. So let's look at this parable. uh, Typically called the the parable of the sower. But I call it the parable of the word. Um, And that's because... Sower is only mentioned one time. Sower went out to sow. But word, especially in Jesus' explanation of it, is used at least eight times. The word, 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 the word. The word. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So let's, let's begin reading this parable of the word um, or the parable of the sower. And he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea, meaning he continued to teach. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside beside the sea on the land. Now, I I, I underline two things there, crowd. Every time in Scripture, when something is repeated... Um, the way I try to explain that to people is you say it a little bit louder. So you say, um, you say, and a very large crowd. But the second time you say, and the whole crowd. When you get to Jesus' explanation of the word, by the eighth time, you are screaming the word. The word! And that's Scripture's way of emphasize, emphasizing important things. It's through repetition. And it's really important. The second thing that I think is really important in this parable is that we um, tend to read like the introductions like this and, and kind of blow by them to get to the meat of it. But it's really interesting because that word land there, in the parable, in Jesus' explanation and in the parable, is translated soil. It's the exact same word. And I prefer here if they would have translated it soil. And here's why. Look at Jesus in that picture. He is teaching. So it's like he's broadcasting to this large crowd. You see that crowd, how it goes all in a big curve like that? It's like he's, you know how a sower sows. He reaches into his bag, and he casts the seed like this. And Jesus is at the boat, and he's teaching to all these people like he's broadcasting the word. And they're standing on soil because he's, talking about soil, and they might be there thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm standing on some rocky ground. Somebody else going, yeah, I'm standing these stupid, you know, stupid thorns here. You know, can move over a little bit. And other people thinking, yeah, I'm standing on pretty good ground right here. Other people saying, yeah, I'm standing real close to the road. So they might be thinking, okay, this parable is making sense to me. We're standing on the soil, and he's talking about soil. But then in Jesus' interpretation, the soil becomes the human heart. He's talking about the human person. And so Jesus is preaching to the soil. He's preaching about soil, but he's preaching to the soil. And so this picture at the very beginning of the parable is, is a picture of the parable itself, which I think is rather wonderful. So, the, the, he, uh, it, so Mark goes on, and he says, and he, Jesus, was teaching, second time teaching, teaching, a little louder, um, Them many things in parables. So he wasn't just teaching this parable, he was teaching a lot of parables, but this is one that Mark picks out from, from that day. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, that's an imperative, do it. That's why you have the exclamation mark, listen, and then behold. Remember, when I preached on Zacchaeus, that word behold means pay attention, listen, pay attention. A sower went out to sow. I want you to, 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 he doesn't say this about a lot of his parables. But his parable is important to Jesus. And he wants you to listen. And he wants you to pay attention. So that's what we're going to try to do. And so then he begins. And as he sowed some seed, not a lot of seed. In fact, it's singular. Not, not very much at all. A little bit of seed fell along the path where the birds came and devoured it. You know, when a sower sows, like I say, they reach into their pack, bag and they cast it. The sower does not want to waste seed on the path or in thorns or in rocky ground. He wants most of it to go into the field. Why? Because he wants a harvest, right? He wants that seed to grow. But when he casts, he's not, you know, planting one seed here and one seed here and one seed here. He's casting it. So some of it's gonna go in different places. And he starts out by saying, As he sowed, some fell along the path, and everybody there, that whole crowd is going, Yep, mm, yeah, we yeah, seen it a hundred different times. But what's really interesting, and this is really interesting in all soils, is that we're devoured. The birds didn't just eat it. In the Greek, the word is eat, but then they add a preposition to it. And that preposition, in each case with the soils, you'll see it coming up, it intensifies the the verb. They didn't just come and eat it. They devoured it. And that word devoured is is used of animals. It's not used of birds. How many of you have seen birds devour seed? Well, maybe those pigeons, right? How many people here have been to Trafalgar Square in England? I have. Okay. I'm, I'll take you with me next time, okay? But they have pigeons everywhere. And, and people feed those pigeons. And you drop a little bit of seed, and those pigeons, like, devour the seed. I mean, they just pounce on it. And that word devoured is used of lions, And animals devouring food. And so it's a very violent term. And I want you to see that. Because that's really important in all this. So some seed is sown. It isn't just eaten. It's devoured. And there is no growth. No seed. And we're going to go through the parable at a little bit faster pace than we are the interpretation. Other seed, again, singular, not much, a little bit while he's sowing, uh, fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. That's good news. It sprang up. It looks like it might grow. Since it had, it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root. It withered away it didn't wilt it's really important it didn't wilt it was scorched again another violent term so a definition of scorch in a, in a Greek dictionary says this to burn up to set on fire to suffer because of intense heat this seed so far no good right It gets devoured, and it gets scorched. But the same result. No fruit. So let's go to another. Some more soil. Other seed, again, singular. Not much, a little bit. Fell among the thorns. Among the thorns. So the thorns are already growing there. Or at least they're in seed form there. Thorns are going to grow there. And the thorns grew up. And choked it. And it yielded no grain. You're getting the point here. It choked. And you can't get that in the English translation. But the English translation. Because that little preposition. It would be. And, and it was utterly choked. So again a definition is. To stop the breathing. Whether by squeezing. Or strangling. Or suffocating. Violence. The seed encounters Violent behavior. Same result. No grain, no fruit. And then we get to the fourth soil. And other seeds, notice it's plural now. Lots of seeds, all kinds of seeds. Is hidden the soil where, where it's intended to hit because it's going to grow here. Lots of seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and yielding and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. There are four verbs there. It, this seed and, and the verbs are meant to say they continue to produce, they continue to grow, they continue to yield. Uh, this field is amazing. It's going to happen. And notice, there is fruit and there's no violence. The other soils, violent. Did you ever think about that? Violent. And yet, here, just amazing. The seeds may look dead. Have you ever seen a seed, right? You've all seen seeds, they look like they have life. They look dead. If I showed you a Bible and I said, this is, contains words of life, you'd say, no, that's just a book. It's just a book. But in good soil, it produces. Again, and again, and again, and again. It's amazing. And then Jesus says this, so... He kind of brackets it. Remember at the beginning he said, listen, pay attention, and then he tells the parable, and then he says this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to raise your hands on this question. How many of you here have ears? Raise your hand. Jesus says then, listen. Actually... If you give it a more literal translation, this is what it would say. And he said, Whoever has ears to hear, you use you. I don't know what the S came in, that was a mistake. (laughs) Whoever has ears to hear, you listen. So he brackets the parable, right? Pay attention. Listen. And then he tells it, look, the violence to the seed, it doesn't grow. Nothing's happening. But in the good, it yields and it produces and it continues to do so. And you get 36 to 100 fold. And then he says, if you have ears, which everybody on that shore is going to raise their hand. Yeah, we got ears. Then he says, then you listen. Pay attention is what he's saying. And then the disciples and, and I'm going to move over these verses, but I'll tell you what they say. disciples kind of go, uh, yeah, we don't really get that. And Jesus is probably going, you'll wait, hey, you know? Come on. I, I'll explain it to you. Okay? And so Jesus moves into the, his interpretation of it. And he begins by saying, the sower sows the word. And at that point, I begin to understand something important. If the seed is the word... I begin to understand the violence. Because you know what this reminds me of? The sower sows the word. But do you remember what John 1.1 1, 1 says? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, in the parable... The word was devoured, it was scorched, and was utterly choked. Violence. Jesus, the word made flesh, experiences it this way. Beaten, and these are the words from Mark's gospel. The words from Mark's gospel about the crucifixion. He is beaten, he is spit upon, and is crucified, interestingly enough, with a crown of thorns upon his head. Do you understand why Jesus tells this parable of the seed, which is the word, and the violence, the seed? Because it's about him. This parable is about the written word, to be sure, and uh, the word as Jesus speaks it, and it's about the word made flesh. And that's why this parable for Jesus becomes so important, and why he says pay attention, listen, and then why at the, he brackets it at the end by saying, if you have ears, listen to how important the word is and listen to the way the word is treated and listen to what the word can do, how it is transforming and how it produces and yields and continues to produce and yield. So Jesus is now going to go into the interpretation for the disciples so they can understand it. And we'll spend a little bit more time in the interpretation. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path. See, he's now talking about you and me, okay, where the word is sown. But, a lot of your translations say and. In the Greek, and and but are the same word. And you, you have to decide, should it be but or should it be and? In this case, it's adversative, so it should read, but. But when they hear, in every single one of these soils, the word is heard. Every time, it's heard, it's heard, it's heard. It's not always received well. In fact, it is heard and treated violently. In three cases, just one case, it's not. It's heard. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So how does Satan come? And I think this is interesting. So these are all biblical images. Well, we already heard that Satan comes as a bird and devours the seed, right? But if we were to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, we learn that Satan is a, like a, a, a roaring lion ready to devour you. Devour you. And if we read on in some other scripture... We learn in Genesis three that Satan's like a serpent. clever, very clever. We're going to look at that in a minute. And if we this is a really interesting one, because it says in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan appears, can, can appear as an angel in light of light. It's really important to realize three ways that Satan approaches us: a bird, pretty innocent; serpent, pretty crafty; lion, pretty dangerous; angel of light, eh, we'd welcome. So, how is it? So first, you have to know that just as the birds are attracted to seed, right? You throw seed, birds are going. They're going, especially those pigeons in Trafalgar Square. Okay, they they're just attracted to the seed to devour it. Not to let it grow, but to devour it. And here's what I want you to realize that when you start getting into the word, expect Satan to come. Expect him to appear. Expect him to approach. The word come there says Satan immediately comes. The words approach. He immediately approaches you. And that's really insidious because his goal in approaching you is to take away that seed and to take away that which could grow abundantly in you. You go, wow. Wow. And he may appear as a lion. He may appear as a serpent. He may appear as an angel in light. He may just appear as a bird. So I want to talk about for a moment... How does God, how does Satan do that? How does Satan devour the word? And for that, we turn to Genesis 3, because this is really important. Satan's going to come, and the parable comes as a bird. In Genesis chapter 3, he comes as a what? As a serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Crafty than any other beast of the field and lord god that the lord god had made. He said to the woman, did god actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Now if you know scripture, you know that is not even close, right? That is not even close to what god said. So here's the first way that Satan begins to devour the word when it comes into our lives. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? And doubt begins to roll on our hearts and in our minds. Did God really say that? You know what God really said? Let's look. I have it here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat... Not you shall not eat, you may surely eat of any tree. Not you shall not eat of any tree, but you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. It's not even close. But it's close enough to maybe cause some doubt. This is why knowing scripture becomes really important. Memorizing scripture, which I'm absolutely horrible about, so don't think that I'm... You know, I, I wish I could be, was better at memorizing. I memorize it, and then like three weeks later, I forget it, and then I have to re-memorize it. But it's a really good thing to memorize Scripture, to know. So the, the, the serpent is beginning to sow doubt. That's the first way Satan likes to take away. But the passage goes on. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay, so she, she knows it. She's got she knows Scripture. So she's able to use Scripture to, to say, no, I'm not going to doubt that because I know what God said. But God said, You shall eat, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall so you touch it lest you die. Actually, God didn't say that last part. That's kind of what we call um, um, Mishnah. Mishnah is 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 commentary. It's interpretation. So it's like Adam and Eve sat down and they said, okay, God doesn't want us to to eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. You know what? If we don't touch it, then we can't eat it. So let's just say no touching. And that's what Eve comes up with. She says, nope, there's only one tree you should not eat. Just one. So Satan really gets it wrong. But he's throwing it out there and she's having to to, to go back and recount scripture. This is what God actually said in verse 2.17, Genesis 2.17. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You're going to die. I, I want to protect you. You're going to die. Don't eat of that tree, right? There are certain plants we are to not eat of or we're going to die, Right? Don't, don't eat them. But then this is really, this is really great. Because this is what Satan does. Watch this. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good from evil and knowing good from evil how many think how many of you think knowing good from evil is a good thing do you want your kids to know good from evil i do i want my kids to be able to say no that's really bad that's evil i don't want anything to so this is not good he says you're not going to die first of all it's a lie He says, your eyes are going to be open. That's a lie. Their eyes are already open. He says, you will know good from evil. Well, they already know good from evil. You know why? Because the knowledge of good and evil comes through revelation. That's how it comes. It doesn't come through my experience. Our culture today is on experience. You know good and evil from your experience. Well, you know what? Some people experience evil as good. That's the problem in Isaiah's day, right? The people say what is evil is good. What is black is white. What is white is black. What is good is bad. What is bad is good. Opening chapters in Isaiah. Because of their experience. And this is really bad. And Satan's just lying. And he's making it sound good. And this is how Satan wants to take away and devour the word. That's what he's doing right now by sowing d- doubts and lies about God's word. You know, I, the, how many of you remember the term mainline denominations? Raise your hand. Mainline denominations. Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, Lutherans, Baptists, too. But Baptists are not including what I'm going to say. The mainline denominations are not called that anymore. You know what they're called? Old line. No, they're called old line denominations because they're dying and people are leaving by the thousands. I belong to the Presbyterian Church and I remember it was so ironic. One year it said, Good news, we only lost 32,000 people this year. I thought, How can that be good news? What's wrong with you? The good seed produces 60, 30, 60, 100 fold. How is that good news? And you know why? Because they abandoned the word. Just abandoned the word. Satan comes and approaches you as an angel of light or as a serpent. And you'll think, "Ah, did God really say that? Or did God really mean that? Did God really mean that I'll die? Did God really mean I shouldn't do that? Did Did God really mean it? Well, Jesus goes on, and he says, And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word again, see here, is in every case the word is heard, immediately receive it with joy, which is great, right? And there are people like that. They hear the word, and hey, it is good news. It is great. That sounds fantastic. But Jesus goes on, and he says this. He says, but they have no root in themselves but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away they have no root what does that mean it means that they have a superficial experience of the word superficial experience it sounds great Christianity looks great. Jesus, who is the Word, is great. They have a superficial experience with Christ. And then stuff happens. They learn that they, have to, they might have to stand up for Christ. They learn that they might have to speak up for Christ. They learn that if they do that, they might get pushback, blowback. They might, in some countries, be persecuted. Not in America. But we certainly are going to get blowback and feedback and we will be demeaned. And then they think, you know, it's just easier if I walk away. So I'll just walk away. Actually, the term here is fall away. And that's a hard fall. Because falling away from Christ is not good. But for some reason, they have in their mind that it's better to fall away Than to stand up for Christ. Children can have very deep roots, and I read this story a while back about children. So they are not like this soil, but they could have been. They stand strong. Near the beginning of 2005, Chinese officials from the Public Security Bureau burst into a Sunday school room at a local church. They found 30 children inside and herded them into a van. Despite the scary situation, one child started to sing, which is so great, isn't it? Because that's a kid. I mean, they're either going to cry or they're going to sing, right? My granddaughter used to, when she woke up in the morning, she wouldn't cry it for mom and dad to come and get him. She sang. As like a two and three-year-old. She sang. I mean, how crazy is this? I guarantee I cried and screamed like a crazy man. Okay? But my granddaughter... Sang, and she sang Christian songs. And these kids began to sing. All right? And until the van was filled with songs. Upon arrival at the police station, the children marched bravely into the interrogation room, still singing to the Lord. The Chinese officers uh, tr- attempted to force the children to write, I do not believe in Jesus. Telling them that they had to write it a hundred times. If you don't believe that, my son went to school. His teacher made him write, I will remember to put my name on the paper a hundred times. So this happens a hundred times before they would be released. Instead of obeying, the children wrote, I believe in Jesus today. I will believe in Jesus tomorrow. I will believe in Jesus forever. Exasperated, the officials called the children's parents. Some denied Christ. However, there was one widow who was called in to pick up her sons, and they threatened her, saying, If you do not deny Jesus, we will not release your sons. And this is what the widow said. Well, I guess you will just have to keep them. Because without Jesus, there would be no way for me to take care of them. Without Jesus. The officers figured there was no avenue left for them. They said, take your children Take your sons and go home. So here's what's important. You know how deep the word has gone into your life by how willing you are to stand for Christ. And that's so important. How willing you are to stand for Christ in public. How willing you are to stand for Christ at your workplace. How willing you are to stand for Christ with your friends in your neighborhood at your dinner table. Because you may have family that doesn't believe in Christ. And I'm not saying you have to preach to him every time. But if Christ is attacked, are you willing to stand for him? Are you willing to take the heat? Or is it easier just to fall off the page? Children. Now you know why Jesus said, if you have faith like a child, you're in good place. Jesus continues. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear, again, hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves once again unfruitful. Cares, you can interpret that as anxiety. Actually, it's a good interpretation of the word. Anxiety. I, I, I did some research on this, and do you know that 40 million people a year are diagnosed with anxiety disorder? 40 million people a year. Our country is anxious. This isn't just within the last year. This is going back years. People diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And they forget that Scripture says, cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety upon him, upon Christ, upon God, because he cares for you and cares about you. If you don't do that, guess what? your anxiety will choke you out completely. it just choke you out. Deceitfulness. There's the deceitfulness of riches. And I thought, okay, how do we deal with that one? And I think Proverbs. You know, here's the interesting thing I learned from my grandmother. Proverbs has 31 chapters, right? There are 30 days or 31 days in a month. So what she did, and I picked it up in my own life, is whatever day of the month it was, that's the proverb she read. And if you forget day 14, it's okay, you get it next month, because one proverb a day. One proverb a day, and it fits perfectly in the schedule. So I went to Proverbs, and this is what Proverbs said. And the question is, will you believe it? Because Satan would say, don't believe this, don't believe any of these verses, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Maybe we're not talking about the same kind of riches, but maybe we are. Blessing of the Lord makes rich. How about this one? One gives freely, let grow, grows all the richer. Ah, uh, really? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. I have always taught in stewardship that if you're willing to give it away, God's willing to bring it to you. If you're willing to give it away, God's willing to... Not, the prosperity gospel says, God will make you richer. If you give two, God will give you four. If you give four, God will give you eight. If you give five, God will give you ten. If you give ten, God will give you twenty. That's not what Proverbs says. You'll go richer, all the richer... But it's not, God's not going to double your profits. If you give it away, give freely. That's where richness comes in. The good, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. If you don't believe these things, you're being deceived. And you're going to be choked out. Just be choked out. And then we get, and this one's really interesting, desire for other things. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up watching this show, Full House. How many people here have ever watched Full House? Okay. Then you know that Lori Loughlin was arrested, right? She's a star of Full House. She was arrested because she bought off people at University of Southern California, USC, and, uh, to get her kids in, her daughters. So I'm going to read to you about this. Actress Lori Loughlin, Full House was sentenced to two months in federal prison for her role in the college admissions scandal. She will serve two years of supervised release, during which she must perform, perform 100 hours of community service and pay a fine of $150,000. Her husband and co-defendant, Massimo, uh Giannulli, Gian, received five months in prison A $250,000 fine and 250 hours of community service. Now I'm going to put on the screen what the judge said to this couple, okay? So you can read it. And here's what the judge said Here you are an admired, successful professional actor with a long lasting marriage. Two apparently healthy, resilient children. More money than you could possibly need. A beautiful home in sunny Southern California. A fairy tale life. Yet you stand before me, a convicted felon, and for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. For the inexplicable, explicable desire. That's what Jesus is talking about. And you know what? It's not inexplicable, is it? Because Jesus says, if you have a desire for other things, they will choke you out. And that's what's happening to Lori Laughlin. She's being choked out. What she doesn't realize is that there's a final day coming. This is not the court she needs to be worried about, right? There's a final court date. That she has, and somebody's got to tell her about it. That she's got one more court date. And then we get to the uh, this quote by Elizabeth Elliot: "I have one desire now to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it." Elizabeth Elliot. Then we get to the final seed. And other seeds fell, plural, other, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So I want you to see something in this, in this good soil. You know what it was before the seed was sown? It was just dirt. It was just soil. That's all it was. But something transformed that field into a field of wheat that would feed, a field of grain, Something. And it was transformed. I'm going to give you the example. Yep. And here's the example. This comes from a secured line that we have with our daughter and son-in-law in a Middle Eastern country. And I'll read through it kind of quickly. But I want you to see the transformation that happens because of the word. The names, you have to kind of figure out some of the stuff because this is just how she said. She said, just want to send a quick update after the first day of our Uh, discipleship retreat with this precious precious couple from Y. It's a couple in the Middle East. Our father's work is so evident in their lives and our time together this weekend. We had a rich time together studying our father's word today and spending time kneeling before our father and this couple. Want to walk with the wife. I asked her, so my daughter's speaking here, I asked her about our father's work and her husband and she responded, The husband I had and why, he is gone. Drew, that's not his name, is a completely different man because of the work of J.C., Jesus Christ. And then she said, J.C. has made him a new man. I can't tell you how beautiful it was to lift up the name of J.C. for this precious couple. For the wife, it was her first time meeting any other believers outside of her family. She told me on the walk today, when I saw the change in my husband, what a new man he was, how he kneeled before our father and read our book, and how he now serves in our home instead of expecting always to be served, which happens in a Muslim country, I knew what he believed, what he believed in was true. Thanks to our Heavenly Father for his good work. And this is the final one. Drew is a truly changed man. He was so gentle and loving with his wife. It was such a joy to pray with him in the mornings and to hear him cry out just for God to use him to reach his people, no matter the sacrifice, because he's got to stand for Christ. It was an honor to be the first brothers and sisters his wife had ever met besides the brothers. And as a man, so my uh, son-in-law is writing this, to be the first man she ever talked with, or even met outside her family. Drew kept emphasizing to her that this is now her new family. Oh, please lift up this couple. Words cannot express just how much they depend upon our intercession for them. Just take five minutes now on your knees for them. Such amazing progress being be made this weekend. But we know that they're up against a wicked foe. You recognize that? A wicked foe? One of the soils, and the obstacles to obedience, being able to stand rocky ground—you see it there—it is, are immeasurable. But we know he began a good. Uh, we know that he who clearly began the good work will be faithful to bring it to completion because it's good soil. So there you go. You got three of the four soils right there. Thank you for all your prayers this weekend. They're very clearly answered. So these are my takeaways real quick. Ah, sorry. 1. Pray for this couple. 2. Hear the word preached in worship. Commit to it. Study the word in small group. Get involved in one. Read the word in your personal devotions. Make daily time for it. And share the word it is transforming. Let us pray. Thank you, God. And we, we I begin, I just have to pray for this couple. He will go back to this country where Christ pray, the name of Christ has probably haven't been heard. And he will stand. He'll stand for Christ. And there will be in time a whole new field of growth. And I thank you for that. I pray for this church, Lord, that they would continue to dig deep in the word, build deep roots, stand firmly on your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.